This podcast and the many that follow are proudly brought to you by our partner, Titleist, the number one ball in golf. Now, as it relates to earning an edge, our friends at Titleist have been the leaders since the early 1900s. And in order to compete and win at the highest level, frankly, there's no room for second best. For this reason, the best players in the world trust Titleist. Welcome to the Earn Your Edge podcast. I'm Corey Lumberg from Altus Performance, and today we are very excited to share a conversation that we've had with probably one of the coolest guys in all of golf, Eric Anders Lang. If you're not familiar with Eric, we came to know him through his series of videos for Scratch TV Adventures in Golf, where he goes all around the world exposing viewers to all forms of golf, many of which we didn't really realize existed. Uh, Not only are the videos entertaining and educational, but they're also beautifully shot. So I would describe Eric as a bit of a trailblazer through his videos and various forms of storytelling and digital content, he's really shaping how we might see modern golf. He's exposing a certain community of golfers to a new way of seeing the game and, and how it can be experienced. And that might sound a bit overstated, but if you follow his work, I think you'll know what I mean. And we are huge fans of what Eric does. And if I'm honest, we're, we're using a, the podcast interview as a bit of an excuse to, to just talk to someone whose work we had Meyer. And while we're typically talking within the specific context of competitive golf and competitive sports with Eric, uh, we, we got into some similar concepts, but hopefully our discussion on developing skill and, and chasing passion and dealing with failure and other uh, similar topics can be applied to all aspects of life and, and whatever you might be pursuing. So without further ado, please enjoy episode 25 of the Earn Your Edge podcast with Eric Anders Lang. Hey there, welcome back. It is Corey Lundberg, and I am joined by Cameron McCormick. Cameron. Hey, Corey. And this week's episode of the Earn Your Edge podcast, and we are joined by Eric Anders Lang, a fellow podcaster, a filmmaker. Photographer? Yes, a brand spokesman, someone who wears many hats, many of them retro and vintage and and very cool, but someone that I think you, you may have the coolest job in golf. Eric, do you have the coolest job in golf? Um, I've heard that said. Uh, do I have the coolest job in golf? I mean... I, I do frequently wonder what I would do if I won the lottery. And I, I tell myself that I would just do what I'm doing, but I would do more of it. Yeah. Um, so uh, cool is a term that we define subjectively. I'm, golf is not technically cool as far as the world is concerned, unfortunately, right now. But I'm trying to change that. And so I think, yeah, I, I think I may have a very cool job. Yeah, no doubt. And and I think this is a little bit different as we just discussed prior to, to hitting record here, that this is a little different than the conversations that we've had before where we're having a conversation with an athlete or a coach, someone who is aspiring towards you know high performance and typically an athletic domain. But in doing a little bit of research, there are certainly a lot of principles of success that we can draw and hopefully have in this conversation for you. And, and that's one of the reasons why we're excited, but also just because we really appreciate the work that you've done. And if you're not familiar, if, if someone who's listening does not know, I guess the first place we would point them towards would be Adventure in Golf. And I guess we could start there. It's you, You've done some beautiful storytelling and I think are exposing viewers to a, a different part of golf than many of us knew existed. Slum golf in Mumbai, prison golf, nudist golf, frozen lake golf, outback golf. So t- talk to us a little bit about origins of Adventures in Golf first. Sure. Yeah. Adventures in golf basically 
Oh, I mean, adventures in golf is like my dream job. If, if someone came to me and said, well, what, this is actually what happened. The PGA tour did come to me and they said, Hey, if you could do anything, what would you do? And I was like, huh, well, I guess I would go around the world and interview strange people in strange places who all share a deep love for the game of golf. And that basically ended up happening, which was a shocker to me. The backstory is, is I had been working on a documentary about golf and meditation kind of trying to look at how how much of golf was actually mental and you know it's impossible to really define that so we set out to do an experiment where we taught meditation to all different types of golfers to see whether or not meditation alone would have a scientific you know score impact on the golf game and you know I'll save the results for the film but while doing that the PGA Tour became aware of my you know filmmaker presence in the game of golf and said, you know, we're starting a new thing called scratch TV. Do you want to get involved? And I said, absolutely. I think, you know, and at the time they, they wanted me to host a TV show. And this is me at the time I was a documentarian and I kind of had some judgment around, uh, you know, being on camera. So, but I was so poor that I just said, fine. <laughs> you know, and I, and I just sort of did it. And in some ways, you know, it, it couldn't have happened in a better way. I mean, I think one of the things that I offer is, is really, I, I'm, I'm a little bit indifferent to being a host, but I care very much about the story that I'm telling as a filmmaker. So, you know, yeah. And that, and that was the beginning of it about three years ago. Um, and then, you know, each season has developed and progressed and evolved in a way of whether it's storytelling or visual knowledge, visual medium. I used to believe that we would run out of stories on season one and two. I, I thought, oh, no, we're going to run out of this idea. And now after completing 30 episodes, I'm convinced that my lifetime will be much shorter than the amount of episodes that could ever be produced of Adventures in Golf. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. It brings us to a question of inspiration, I guess, for a, what you described there is for some period of time, you thought that uh, the inspiration might run dry, but after doing it for X period of time, you recognize that there is an uh, almost an everlasting fountain of inspiration. But where does that come from? And I guess another way to just ask that question is if you were advising someone else to seek out inspiration in any area or any application, how would you advise them go about it? Wow. What a great question. This is like, so I, I, like I said, I mean, I've listened to your podcast. I've heard the other guests. I've definitely <laughs> wondered how I fit into this patchwork. Honored to be invited. And really, I'm, I'm learning from you, which is wonderful. That's a really good question. How do you find inspiration? I mean, I think, I think it comes in two ways, right? It comes both from within and then it comes from outside. So from within, it comes from when you wipe away all of the grease of living and the fears of failure and success and all of the anxiety around timeline and, and, and you know, whatever, mm -hmm. there is be beneath all of that, there's both like a deep sense of being interested in whatever it is. Each person is different. That, that's why there's so many different sports and so many different hobbies, I think. And we, and we all can find something that we're interested in. And so, you know, Chris Berman, the ESPN announcer told me early on, he said, if you find it interesting, other people will too. And you need to follow that guide internally. That's great advice. Yeah. And so I was not at that time willing to trust my inner guide of what I find interesting, right? Because I hadn't been proven 
either way. And so he encouraged me to try that. And I did. And lo and behold, it actually worked. And then the second part of inspiration comes from when someone validates that with their, you know, either words like, like a text or a comment or, or, or even most beneficially is like, is like with their face right in front of you. And they say, you have done this for me. Right. And that, that is, um, yeah, I, I talk about this a lot on my, on my social media, because that is the thing that elevates what I do. It's the thing that inspires. It's the only thing that really inspires me. The only thing really, I mean, I, I get inspired to go play golf. I get inspired to make films, but what I really get inspired by is by people who are, it's kind of like a turbo engine. You know, when you're on a plane, the, the air comes in and that air is then pushed through another turbo in the back, which then speeds up the turbo in the front to pull more air in. And it's kind of this snake that eats itself of speed. Well, that's the same for me as far as inspiration. So I make something that inspires someone. They tell me that inspires me to do it more. Yeah. And that may sound kind of like ridiculous, but that's been my experience. No, it doesn't sound ridiculous at all. In fact, in being a, I guess, a, a fan of yours and what you produce, it uh, invariably bleeds into influencing other people. And in terms of inspiration, I think I described to you in an email string how the goat caddy inspired my daughter to want to get out and do exactly the same thing. So that means a on-ramp into more golf, then I'm all about it, which then I guess dovetails nicely into the mission map. The entire objective, clearly a part of what we do is we do it to uh, find joy. Does it make our heart sing is a question we ask ourselves here at Altus. And the second uh, piece is scratching your own itch. But uh, invariably, it, it kind of aligns with there's got to be maybe a greater purpose. And could you describe uh, in a few words or as detailed as you want to be, what is the mission map of all those things that you're dabbling in right now in golf, but also out, outside of golf if you want to? Sure. Well, I mean, this is kind of a question where I suppose it's like when Columbus was going uh, <laughs> on the waterfront for so many days and months. I'm sure the mission changed. I'm sure at one point the mission was just find some land, <laughs> you know I mean? like, just, just stop being on the boat. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I'm guessing, but for me, I know in the beginning, it was merely to see if something worked to see if this, to see what this door held behind it. And then shortly after that, the mission was to, you know, make it as, make it as good as I can to go to different places. And now the mission I've discovered for myself, and this will change, I'm sure is to, I think create a bit more, and I mean, this sounds like I care about something that's just maybe not necessary in a lot of ways, but I do feel like it is because I came to golf at 30 and I found it to be a, a bit of a strange place that I didn't really want to go to. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think my goal is to make golf a bit more approachable. However, that's done. I don't quite know, but I, I would love to make golf more enjoyable for those that already play it, I would love to uh, create a bit of a friendship within the game of golf that may not exist currently. You know, again, as I'm saying this in my world, I'm experiencing all these things already, but I'm not sure that everyone else is. So the other big goal is I want to figure out what I should do, right? But I don't know. I mean, I, I know that a big part of my job right now is sort of traveling to weird places so you don't have to. <laughs> so let's take a quick break in the action to recognize one of our partners, Under Armour. 
It's Under Armour's mission to make all athletes better through passion, design, and the relentless pursuit of innovation. And that ethos or mission statement couldn't be more aligned with the Earn Your Edge podcast. We're thankful to be powered by Under Armour. Can I just pull on that thread of breaking down barriers? Because it's in our experience coming from, I guess, a point of employment at the private side of the game and also dealing with public access golf as we were cutting our teeth in the game of golf, me in Australia and Corey over here in the United States. There are barriers to entry. There is a, I guess you could call it, of old guard golf that I, I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, we couldn't agree with you more that needs to be uh, broken, disassembled, dismantled. So that being part of the mission map, I think that we're, uh, f- we would fully advocate um, towards that as well. But I, I guess a question that's coming out of that as I'm long-winded in getting to it is, what do you feel like would be the most effective steps to breaking down those barriers to entry and making it a far more open and inviting game? Right. Okay. Well, well, number one, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you share the same experience I do, because I would imagine that we come from very different origin cities to arrive in the same place, which is, I guess, the industry of golf. What are the steps? Um, my seat has just heated up. I feel like I'm in the hot seat. Uh, <laughs> yeah, golf. Um, Make sure golf grows uh, and is healthy. Yeah. It's on you. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think, you know, the answer is I don't know, right? I, I, I don't know. But I, I do know that the answer starts with me, right? I know yeah. that. I, I know that when I show up to some place, it's on me to be the first guy that's like, hey, how are you? You want to join our group? Yeah, of course. No problem. Oh, you just started? That's actually great. I'd love to play golf with someone who just started and hear what they think of this wonderful game that I've devoted my life to. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wow. Uh, you know, there's a, you know, whatever is happening, I think, it's, it kind of comes back to almost radical optimism. You know what I mean? Like right. whatever's happening in my experience of golf, wherever I am, I think that's, that's, that's a big part of, uh, being, being immediately optimistic, no matter what it is. I, I think the irony is, is there's a lot of things that go around in the culture of golf. That's like, you don't want that fourth person to join the group. And I mean, this is very small. This is not a huge deal, but in some ways, it's a strangely unwelcome place to go for a newcomer. Why would I want to go try a game where nobody wants me to play with them? Couldn't agree more. And and that's not always the case. By far, there are many wonderful people out there that would love to have you join into their random group. That's a big thing that I take up on is the, is the wonderful people you meet in the game of golf. They're all out there for the same reasons. We forget that. I think I think a big part of it though is you know I think that's what we can do on an individual level on a group level poof I don't know I mean on a on like a committee level I mean let's make more Goat Hill parks let's make more Winter parks let's make more let's make more of those right mm-hmm. I'm actually working on a project with the USGA where we're sort of trying to figure this question out and again similar to my feelings around being invited on this podcast I <laughs> I do kind of wonder how I ended up in the on the, on the conference calls with the USGA talking about it, but it's a huge compliment. And I think it's a testament to how difficult this problem actually is. I think that one thing that stands out in a lot of the content that you created and even, you know, just following you on Instagram is that it seems to be important that you're nurturing the social connection that is part of golf. And kind of, as you alluded to in the private club kind of culture, it seems like 
while it's something that we would all say has been really, really important to us, it's something that may may be lost currently in, in some kind of corners of golf. And I think that that's one of the things that you, you've done a really good job in kind of uh, enlightening us to. So I guess the question is, as we're kind of looking at, at traits and skills that we should have, is, is that kind of social connection, that ability to connect people and influence people in that way, something that you've always had? Or is it uh, something that's, that's isolated to, to your experiences within golf or somewhere that lives everywhere for you? Yeah, interesting question. I mean, in high school, I didn't have a, gr- a crew. I didn't have a group, really. I, I kind of was equally uh, friendly with the jocks, with the nerds, and with the stoners, and, and, and with the cool kids, right? And, 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 it just, and, and I kind of didn't realize that that was about to shape who I would become later in life as a, I guess, as a person to care about the game of golf and try to break down a little bit of the stereotypical golfer as we all kind of realize that this game isn't the game isn't a stereotype the game is just a thing you do and the stereotype unfortunately lives with it and then you know as a kid i don't have this memory personally but it was told to me that we were going through italy i was like six or five and i was lost we were on a tour going through a tour of like florence and my parents couldn't find me and then finally they, they realized I was up front holding the hand of the tour guide, just belting it with questions. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so it's always I think been that, there. yeah, I think that kind of curiosity and just, you know, interest in just finding out what it's all about. And yeah, I mean, that's, tr- that's definitely been my experience with golf is, you know, when you, when you sort of, when you sort of, if you closed your eyes, if you went to a golf course and went blindfolded, how interesting that would be. That's the next episode. <laughs> we, we've become your muse. Yeah, right. <laughs> you just created right. your episode. <laughs> yeah, well, well and, and I think that kind of comes back to another topic that we wanted to, to chat with you on, which is like, just, you know, that takes courage to do certain things to kind of step outside of your comfort zone. And clearly you have had, you've documented your willingness and ability to kind of take on these adventures and push yourself beyond your, your kind of comfort zones. And, and I imagine that, you know, as you're in a slum in Mumbai or, or even maybe more extremely, you're about to play golf in a nudist colony, that this experience that, that you've had and documented has brought up some fear that you've kind of had to, to muster up some courage to deal with. And that's something that as coaching athletes, we're talking about that fear and that courage and, and stretching and challenging yourself all the time. So I think one way, you know, we say, well, how do you fit into this conversation? You're someone that's dealt with fear and, and has kind of uh, demonstrated this this courage. As you're about to tee off on the first hole and you are in the nude and you have this fear, I'm assuming that you're not comfortable here and you have this fear. What's the What do you say? What are the affirming voice in your head that helps you deal with that fear and have courage in certain situations that maybe others could could kind of learn from? Yeah, that's very interesting. I... I um oh man I, I am an okay golfer right I'm a single digit handicap for starting and, at thirty that's another topic that we'll save for a second for starting in your thirties <laughs> you're a really good golfer <laughs> I appreciate that um you know I'm okay I love the golf swing I love playing the game I don't see much of a similarity though between between the experience of fear standing over a golf ball and fear doing my show because the truth is. When I do the show, the fear about getting naked was definitely there. But as soon as I did, like, and my crew and I were able to stand there and just look at me standing there naked, and I was able to just be, you know, and I'm an entertainer in that role. 
And and the only thing I have to do is entertain. And and that comes very naturally to me. Entertainment to me is just merely being as present as I can possibly be, no matter how uncomfortable the situation is. And so when I take my clothes off, it's like, Jesus, look at my fucking penis. <laughs> you, know <what> I mean? <laughs> you know, like, I think that was the first thing I said. And I was just like, here we go. And everyone else and- probably had that same thought, but that thought only existed for what, at minimum 10 seconds. And they're like, okay, he's naked. Yeah. <laughs> just like now 10 we move seconds on. ago. Yeah. And now you become more like a dog or a bear or a baby or whatever. <laughs> exactly. And then I just spent two days naked playing golf and I wasn't very nervous. Now, you know, I, I, I would like to touch on the subject of how do you deal with fear? Because I did just talk with Alfonso Ribeiro and he said that fear really only occurs when you're afraid of a certain outcome. Mm. And and the, the, the ironic truth is in golf, I can pretty much manage almost every outcome, especially as an amateur. I mean, I was just in Scotland and I played Prestwick where you've got the railroad to the right. And that's kind of a short par four. Well, and I like pulled the four iron because I was like, we'll go easy on it. And I literally put two over the railroad and I was just like, geez, what is going on? But the truth is, you know, there was fear there because there are people watching and, you know, that you can't get around that. I don't know what you do to get around fear. I, I, I think I think. I'm sure that someone else knows better than I do, but what I would say is if I was pressed is um, I think the only thing where the, one, one of the places where fear does not exist is when I am focused intently on something else and something else that's actually happening, a sensation physically in my body, for example, breathing. Mm-hmm. If I am really breathing and really feeling the air go through my teeth and my throat and into my lungs, then I may be nervous, but I, I don't think I'm focused on the fearful thought in that moment. And that's come up for me in work sometimes, but for the most part, entertainment is pretty easy for me. You're right, right. And it's interesting you bring that up because one of the subjects that we do want to explore is that a subject of reflection, and, and you've done a documentary on meditation. You actually spoke to it many minutes ago. Can you speak to that process of recognizing that that was a skill that helped you deal with whether you want to term it fear, whether you want to term it something else, an experience that you're that you're dealing with that needs an, an outlet or a regulator, if you will? And when did that come about? And what were the steps that um, that, that you took back then to develop that meditative practice as foundational to you? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I got into golf and, um, you know, my brother had been asking me to get into golf for my entire life. I never was interested because it wasn't quote my game. He and I are pretty opposite. He's older than me. He's a lawyer. You know, I could list the differences, right. <laughs> and, um, in, in a long list. And, um, and then finally one day, you know, I tried golf. I don't know why I don't, rem- I, 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 what happened was, is he invited me and I said, no. And then I heard the no kind of echo in the room. And I was like, why am I saying no? I'm kind of a yes person. And then I was like, fine, you know what? I'll go try it. And I, very distinctly, the first tee shot, it was a three wood. I hit the ball in the dead center of that three woods club face. And pretty much every moment after that, I've been in love with the game of golf you know, to a double digit level, you know, I, I just, I just can't get away from that feeling, whatever it is. And, and I'll spend hours talking about the sweet spot, you know? Um, uh-huh. 
and for me, that's a big part of the game. Really, it's just it's just the sweet spot. It's not the score. It's it's not the logo. It's not the grass. It's uh, it's not it's 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 the sweet spot. And then obviously the friends watching or you watching them doing the doing that. And so anyway, then uh, shortly after that, my brother sent me a copy of Zen Golf, and obviously you know Doctor Parent, uh, wonderful, generous Buddhist author and golf coach to you know some some wonderful players of the game. So I read this book and I'm like, whoa, Buddhism and golf. I had no idea. And I called him shortly after getting the book and we basically became like best friends. And we lived not that far from each other and we would hang out once a week and we would go on meditation retreats. And I basically became a no joke, incense burning, chanting Buddhist (laughs) with him. Like, like not even joking. Like I went down the rabbit hole with this guy. And so we would go on these meditation retreats and then we would go play golf, basically stoned on meditation, um, <laughs> having not spoken for four days. Then we would go play a round of golf in silence. Mm. Um, it was very bizarre. And I think I forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> part of the question was how did you come about that being a um, part of the, I guess, the tool set that you use in uh, your given domain, whether it's you're working or you're playing but the other part of the question is um, how foundational, I guess, do you think that is? Is it something that you feel like most people or all people would benefit on? Or does it require a, a, a certain or is it is probably only bit or is it probably only beneficial to a certain type of person? Well, I mean, there's some science that says all sorts of things, you know, whether you're a, whether what type of learner you are or what type of how you respond and fast twitch and slow twitch. and But I do know that. I taught meditation to 50 people and all but one of them got better at golf. Mm-hmm. Right. Brilliant. And that's giving, that's giving away a, a bit of the movie, but I think you'll still watch it for sure. You know, and I know that for me, meditation allowed me one crucial aspect to living both off and on the golf course, which is that my thoughts are actually not me. Mm-hmm. So when I stand over the tee on my least favorite hole and I say, this is, my worst hole, then I have the chance to wait and say, wait a minute, Eric, who said that? And then I say, well, I mean, I said that, well, did you, because do you really feel that way? And then you have the opportunity to say, that's actually not true. Mm-hmm. And you, you realize that, that there's this sort of kind of like, you know, when you go in the old Westerns, they have the piano that's sort of always playing music, but no one's there. Right. Yeah. That, that's the image of the mind that we have. And we realize that there are songs and books and, and, and movies being played inside my head that I am not aware of. And I don't even realize that I have the opportunity to press stop and put anything else I want in there. So, so when I stand on the tee and I say, this is my least favorite hole, I can say, Oh, wait a minute. You know, what's great about right now, the glove feels so good on my hand. And I just, I just made a three on the last hole. It was a pretty hard up and down. All right. What do we got? Right side of the fairway. Let's go. Right. And that mental talk is valuable in any situation, whether it's, me standing in front of a camera in a situation, not knowing what I'm going to do, or even me sitting here with you on this podcast being like, Oh, how do I fit into this group of people? But what helps me is I just sort of take a deep breath. And and the practice there is that as soon as I take a deep breath nowadays, it sort of explodes the thought kind of like a cloud puffing away, you know? And, and then I just look at whatever I'm looking at. And all of a sudden we're in the present moment. And all of a sudden there really isn't much fear or anxiety or whatever. And it's really just what's happening. You just asked me a question. I'm answering it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So, so building on kind of those mental processes and mental triggers that you have, another thing that we have tried to spend a lot of time in this conversation is, is kind of uncover what are those common themes and high performers. And one of them is the reaction to challenge and, and failure. And I think that, you know, at least as I'm watching adventures in golf, I think that you could get through watching a few episodes. And the assumption is that Eric Anders Lang lives this charm life. Like he goes and he plays golf in these like unbelievable places and that's his job. But then, you know, you listen to your podcast where I think that you are pretty candid and, and pretty open about the fact that there's been pr- plenty of struggles along the way. And, and we can have this perception that there hasn't been a whole lot of failure. And, and I, I think that's not true. So my, my question, I guess, is if we know that high performers deal and react to failures and challenges in really effective ways, maybe discussing some of those that have you know, popped up along the way and kind of how you go about dealing with those and, and how you feel like your reaction to, to failure or challenge is maybe a, a separator of some kind. Yeah. Well, that's interesting to hear. It's funny because when you watch the edit of Adventures in Golf, it does seem very happy and funny and ridiculous. And for the most part, while we're on location, it really is. But yeah, there's a lot of joy and enthusiasm that's, comes that's part of it. Camera, it comes sure. across like vividly. Yeah. And that's all real. The other side of it that you might not see is that it is really, really hard and annoying and complicated. And I mean, I don't know how much people, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm not complaining, but I, I, I wouldn't want it to be any easier than it is, but it is in, incredibly bizarre. I mean, especially in Mumbai, like, uh, I don't know, we were like sort of like bribing the police over there, you know? And I was like, am I, am I going to be persona non grata when the PGA tour finds out that I'm now like right. in, imprisoned in <laughs> India? <laughs> But I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, just the reaction to challenge. I mean, because and I yes, think, that, yes, I, I I think that. that I would. I mean, that's another thing that all high performers go through. If if you're really good at it, it almost makes it look as if it's effortless. But we also recognize the quality of the work that you've created, and that obviously it's difficult and it's not easy to do. Or people would be would be duplicating it. So you found a way to deal with that difficulties and those challenges and obstacles in a way that's been effective. Yeah, and I think well, what's the interesting thing is if you look at you know, I didn't even want to do a golf show, right? I didn't, I didn't want to host a show. I wanted to be so many other things. I wanted to be a photographer. I wanted to uh, be a documentary filmmaker. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to do any of that. You know what I mean? I didn't want to, I didn't want to have a golf show. I didn't, I didn't want to do anything in golf. I wanted to have like a, a real career. I wanted to be a, a, I wanted to be a filmmaker. I wanted to be a screenwriter. I wanted to be a producer. I didn't want to work in the golf industry. And, you know, and then I didn't want to, at the time I wanted to be a photographer. I didn't, I was suggested to me to be a filmmaker and I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be a still photographer. And, and so my entire life has been about settling with whatever was open. Right. And, and I, I don't know, you could call that a failure, but I think it's kind of like when you hit one in a spot you didn't pick. Well, then you play from where your ball is. Mm -hmm. And that's a big part of my professional life is, like I said, I didn't want to be on camera. I I wanted to be behind the lens. I wanted to be Spielberg with the beard and the glasses and the dad hat. But instead, (laughs) now I'm not wearing a hat and I'm telling you what my name is at the beginning of every show. But I think that's a big part of whatever you want to call failure. I think it's like, I mean, you know, you have to, uh, I found that the most beneficial thing is to basically take that situation and run with it yeah and just be like well I, this is going to sound ridiculous but do you guys want do you listen to the jocko podcast yeah yeah so you've seen that you've seen the uh millions of views on the on the good the, yeah, the motivational right. yep yeah i mean that's that's all it is you know 
Oh, you, you, you didn't get the job doing what you wanted to do. Good. You got a job doing something you don't want to do. Good. Now you just go and do it. And I think, you know, even with, I mean, there are so many backstories to adventures in golf episodes that I thought would be great. That didn't happen for some reason that just didn't seem to make any sense to me or whatever it is, or, you know, and it's just all, always the answer is just, Oh, okay, great. Let's wait. Let, now we have an opportunity to do something interesting. And the truth is funny thing is, is like, even in golf though, my favorite shots and my favorite memories and my favorite moments are always like from weird places where you're like in jail and there's like no spot. And, and those wake me up. And so I think it's the same with my work is when it's like, oh, wow. So we lost a bag filled with every battery that we have. And we're in a place where there's absolutely no place to get a battery. And we can only shoot for about 30 minutes at a time. And there's no food. And the elevation and the time change making me nauseous. Well, let's see how this turns out. Great. <laughs> Beautiful. I think that's a big part of it. segue into a skills question advice to your younger self you could frame it that way or advice to someone who has aspirations of doing what you're doing whether it be in front of the camera or behind the camera are the two or three things that you feel are foundational skills to be able to do what you do wow oh that's so tough i mean i think improvisation is a big one how do you learn that i've always wondered how i could learn to, to uh to improvise better and adapt to situations well, I think, you know, when we when we look at like improv improvising and we look at improv comedy, for example, mm -hmm. the, the only real rule of improv comedy is that that you respond. Yes. And right. Right. So someone says, I'm William Shakespeare. And you say you wouldn't say, no, you're not. You would say, yes. And I am Romeo, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and so I think the I don't know. I haven't really researched improvisation, but I'm pretty sure that you have to start with accepting your situation. Which, which kind of dovetail, um, attaches itself to your previous point of play it as it lies and then add to that and eventually you create something from that, yes? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think uh, at least in my work, right, it, one of my favorite parts of my job is actually the production aspect. It's the thinking of we've got a map, we're looking at Africa, we want to do three episodes there. How do we do it? Oh, wow, there's no flight from Perth to, so we got to get from a Australia to Africa. That's a long flight. It's really expensive. Maybe we go from London. I love that. And so I think that always just kind of, it's, it's about yes and, but it's also about realizing that for any problem, there are potentially infinite solutions. Mm -hmm. And then whatever your solution is, doors closed, <laughs> right? Like we're going <laughs> with it. Like, like second guessing is just at that point, you're in the plane, you're buttoned up, you're taxiing. And, you know, when the plane's going down the runway, there's that point that they call, I can't remember the name of it, but it's the point where they absolutely have to take off. Yeah. You're all in. Yeah. <laughs> That's the it, all it, in it, moment. It's you know, like, an expression in investing. Are you the pig? Are you the chicken at breakfast? The chicken has an interest <laughs> and the pig is all in. <laughs> that is, yeah, the pig is all in. So, so that's, that's a good one. Um, and I think also that that improvising quality is not just on the small scale. It's on the big scale. Like for me, like I said, I didn't want to do golf. I wanted to do a podcast, but I didn't want to do a golf podcast. I wanted to produce videos and movies, but I didn't want to do golf stuff. And now here I am. I love it. I'm committed. I'm all in. I wouldn't want to do anything else if you gave me an, another deal. If you if you offered to shuffle the cards again, I probably would say no thanks. I'm mm -hmm. good. You know, I think I think that idea of seeing many, many outcomes at any given time and, and really as an intuitive practice, 
listening to what on earth is available, right? Like, I mean, it, it would it would be kind of silly to. I'm not thinking of a good example right now, but you know, I mean, I think a lot of times it's great to have goals and dreams and things like that, but I think it, it's also really great to just do something that's in front of you and that's available. Well, and I think that that's one of the quotes that I saw on one of your Instagram that I wrote down and I wanted to bring up to you just as a, as a point of appreciation for it was that you're about to your willingness to do something that you're not sure if it's going to work, but it's the attitude of, well, this, this could go in the hole. And I think it's that kind of radical optimism as you called it, which I love is kind of the theme that, that we come back to as being a clear way to kind of earn an edge going back to kind of our, our theme for, for the conversation. So we have one question. We, we ask a few we ask this question often, but if we could kind of leave the, the conversation with one thing that you feel has been really, really important that you've learned in the last 365 days. I know there was a post on your Instagram a few days ago that says that this was a year that you had learned a lot. And just curious if you can kind of leave us with that lesson as a way to kind of conclude our, our conversation. Yeah. Okay. So let's see. We're going to need to cut out 15 minutes of silence while I think about this. Uh... <laughs> you learn a lot. You just can't remember it all right. We'll insert some happy music. I think the thing I've learned the most is that the universe doesn't actually care unless you actually do something. Beautiful. You know, the universe is sitting there totally ambivalent to you unless you arrive with a document or with some type, something that you've made and you say, hey, universe, what do you think of this? And then it'll say, oh, wow, this is good. Or, you know what? This actually sucks. I would consider doing something else. And but if you just show up to the universe and you're like, I've got a ton of questions, it's like, you know what? There's a long line of people who have questions. I want to see you present me with answers and let's see, let's see what you find. Beautiful. Brilliant. That's a good way to conclude here, man. And I know that you've got a lot of different projects going on right now and we certainly hope to kind of send people that way because I know that, that our listeners that are maybe hearing you for the first time are going to be intrigued by at least the, the nude golf episode. Um, <laughs> it's out. Yeah. Okay, good. So, so where should we send them? If you're listening right now, you want to learn more about what you do and all the different projects, whether it be with scratch TV or, or your own YouTube channels, where should we send people? Yeah. So, uh, definitely my Instagram is my main kind of whatever blog, if you want to call it. And that's my name, Eric Anders Lang, and it's Eric with a K. And then obviously you're definitely going to watch adventures in golf, which is on scratch TV, S K. R-A-T-C-H TV on YouTube. It's also on Facebook and Twitter, but I unfortunately don't understand how those work very well. Um, and I also started a YouTube channel about a couple months ago that is, if you search my name, I don't know what the you are. I think it might be Eric Lang 12 is the name of my YouTube channel. But anyway, that comes up. And, and on there, I do a lot of other videos where I'm just treating it as sort of an open experiment to see what do I want to do next. Got it. Brilliant. Awesome. Eric, we can't thank you enough. Absolutely. A lot of gratitude for what you're doing. In our world, golf is is often very serious because it's we're in kind of this competitive domain. So, you know, aside from from thanking you for, for your time, some gratitude for kind of infusing some some joy and some wonder and Levity. some su- surprise mm-hmm. to uh, to what you're exposing us and, and to kind of another side of golf. So appreciate what you do, man. Well, that means a lot coming from you too. I really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, more. Cool. Let's arrange a golf game real soon. Yes. All right. Have a good day. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, Eric. See you, man. Thanks very much for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about Altus Performance, go check out altusperformance.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Team Altus and Instagram at Altus Performance. Also, thanks to Cordy Walker for his wonderful production work on this and coming episodes of Earn Your Edge.